Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, let me invite you to take a deep breath with me, and let's be silent in the presence of God for just a few seconds, and then I'll lead us in prayer as we prepare to step into our study. So bow with me, and let's just be still before God for a moment. God, we confess and we acknowledge uh, your presence in every part of our lives in those moments that are full of noise, but likewise those moments that are filled with stillness and silence. And I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist who said, be still and know that I am God. And so God, on this first day of a new year, uh, we pause We take a deep breath uh, to affirm our faith, even in the midst of our fears and worries, even in the midst of our doubts, our failures, our brokenness. God, we place our trust in you. And like the Father in the Gospels, we confess, Lord, we do believe. Help us in our moments of unbelief. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, let me also welcome you on this first day of 2023, which happens to be a Sunday, first time in six years that New Year's Day falls on a Sunday. If you are one of those folks interested in calendars, it will be another 11 years before New Year's Day falls on a Sunday. And so what a blessing as Sam mentioned earlier, for us to be together in one assembly today. Uh, Other than weather-related Sundays over the last decade, this is the first time in well over a decade that we have been together at Monterey in a combined assembly on Sunday morning. And so I'm very, very grateful for your presence today. Again, whether you typically attend our 8.30 assembly or our 10.45 assembly, uh, this morning is a sacred moment. In fact, as we reflect on our journey of faith, uh, as you think about your past, as I think about my past, there may well be any number of worship gatherings that stand out in your memory. Uh, uh, Sunday's worship gatherings that carried a special significance, maybe one of those days where you made a commitment to follow Jesus, where you were baptized Uh, For some of you, one of those worship gatherings where one of your children or grandchildren were baptized. For churches, there are significant worship gatherings often that mark transitions in the life of a church. Uh, For example, some of you I'm sure can join with me. I remember our last worship gathering in our old building at 58th and Memphis, and I remember our first worship gathering in this building. Uh, special moments, uh, significant moments in our lives. And I pray today is one of those moments as we begin 2023. I don't know whether you're prone to make resolutions at the beginning of a new year or not, Uh, whether that is a tradition for you or not. Let me challenge you as we begin this new year uh, to spend some time, especially during the month of January, reading the gospel of Matthew. 
I read somewhere yesterday that most New Year's resolutions last only uh, three or four days. And so if I could challenge you with a resolution for the new year, you can easily read Matthew in the next three or four days. <laughs> and so let me challenge you to take some time and read those 28 chapters. And as you read those chapters, I want you to notice what Jesus says about faith. On one hand, all four of the Gospels are all about Jesus. And so as a friend of mine put it a number of years ago, if you want to know more about Jesus, even beyond that, if you want to be more like Jesus, then spend some time with him. And one of the best ways to spend time with Jesus is to immerse yourself in the Gospels, to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those incredible narratives, those incredible stories about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And as I challenge you to read the Gospel of Matthew, I would suggest to you there may be value in reading that Gospel from at least three different levels. At one level, you simply read the Gospel. You simply read the story to know more about Jesus, to listen to His words, to reflect on His miracles, to watch the story of God unfold. At another level, it is fascinating to read the story as if you were one of the characters in the story. And so what was it like to be someone who was healed by Jesus? What was it like to be one of the 12 disciples? And I'm specifically going to reference those disciples as we talk about this idea of faith this morning. And then at another level, uh, to recognize that Matthew wrote his gospel uh, to a first century audience, likely to a church or to a group of churches. And so as you read Matthew, you also ask questions like, so what's going on in the life of that church or that group of churches that leads Matthew to tell the story of Jesus the way he does? For example, when you read the story of Jesus calming the storms on the Sea of Galilee, obviously Matthew wants you to know that Jesus has power over nature. That's one way we ultimately draw the conclusion that he is divine. But I think Matthew may also tell that story because folks in those early churches may have been experiencing storms in their own lives. And so it's not only that Jesus has the power to calm a storm on the Sea of Galilee, but Jesus has the power to step into our lives and to bring peace to our lives even as the storms may continue to rage. And as I reflect on what those early readers may have drawn from the Gospel of Matthew, then I begin asking questions like, and so what does this story have to say to me, what does this story have to say to us? Interestingly, again, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has a great deal to say about faith. And again, I want to hit the pause button because on one hand, all four Gospels have a similar goal. As you read the story of Jesus, these writers want you to draw the conclusion that he really is the Christ. And the writer of the Gospel of John makes it specific. Near the close of his Gospel, and we alluded to it last Sunday, the writer will say, I could have written a whole lot more, but what I have written, I've written in order that you might believe and in, order, and in the process of believing that you might experience life. For me, 
words about faith in the gospel of Matthew go beyond me just putting my trust in Jesus. The words in the gospel of Matthew are a call for me to put my trust in Jesus, especially in the storms of life. Interestingly, there are five times in the gospel of Matthew where Jesus uses the phrase little faith. On four of those occasions, the specific words that he speaks to those disciples are, O you of little faith. And so travel with me for just a few moments this morning through this gospel of Matthew, and I will begin by reminding you of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. At the heart of that great sermon is the call Jesus gives us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a sermon that begins with those great beatitudes, a sermon that reminds us that we are salt and light in our world, a sermon that calls us to holy living in our relationships with one another, that calls us to practice spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and giving, that calls us to love others, even those who are our enemies that challenges us to build our lives, to build our houses on solid foundations. And that solid foundation in the Sermon on the Mount is to put our faith, to put our trust in Jesus, not in the things of this world, to put our trust in Jesus, even when the storms of life come, when it is so easy to worry about life and possessions and jobs and the future, to worry about perhaps what we will eat or drink, whether we can make it another day. In the context of talking about all of those things that may draw our focus away from God, here's the warning, the clear reminder Jesus gives us. Chapter 6, verse 30, as Jesus talks about God taking care of nature, He says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? The key word is worry. The contrast is between faith and worry. Bottom line, it is possible for us, both individually and as a church, to be paralyzed by worry. How will we pay for it? How will we get through this storm? What will others think? How will we survive? By the way, the word worry carries with it the idea of choking out life. In this particular text, Jesus says that anxiety and worry over material things is an indication of little faith. I think a word that is so appropriate given the kind of uncertainty that exists in our world today, whether we're talking about wars that rage or talking about financial uncertainties, a word that is so appropriate for today. Jesus says, you have little faith. Why do you worry? One chapter later, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has taught that sermon. He has performed several miracles. He and the disciples, as is very common in the Gospel of Matthew, he and the disciples get into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. 
when they are in the boat, a furious storm came up on the lake. Waves are sweeping over the boat. Jesus is asleep. The disciples, seven of whom are fishermen, who've been out on this Sea of Galilee numerous times in their lives, these disciples are absolutely terrified. They wake Jesus saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The key word is fear. The contrast is between faith and fear. I would suggest it is also possible for us, both individually and as a church, to be paralyzed by fear. Remember again the different levels at which one can read the Gospels. And so at one level again, Matthew is recording a miracle. He wants us to believe that Jesus has power over nature, that he has power to calm storms on the Sea of Galilee. At another level, there is an incredible application for our lives as we face the storms of life, as we experience fear and uncertainty. Jesus steps into our lives and brings peace. And I want you to hear me say that carefully because it's not a matter of Jesus calming all of the storms that we may face. In fact, some of those storms may endure for a long, long time. But it's a Jesus who steps into those storms and brings peace, even when the storms may continue to rage. Faith is being sure of something, sure of God's presence and God's promises, finding peace and security and direction even in the midst of those storms. Jesus says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Just a few chapters later, we have another story of Jesus and the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. It's my favorite story related to the Sea of Galilee. The disciples again are in a boat crossing the sea. Jesus, after having taught, has gone up into the hillsides to pray. But later in the night, later in the night, he comes to them walking on the water. They are terrified. Jesus assures them that it was him. And Peter, always the first to speak, says, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you on the water. Come on, Peter. And so Peter steps out of the boat. I don't know how many steps he took, but it wasn't long before he became paralyzed by fear, the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. But Jesus even adds to the word fear by saying, or the text says immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught Peter. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Key word is doubt. The contrast is between faith and doubt. And similar again to worry and fear, it is possible for us, both individually and as a church, to be paralyzed, to be consumed by doubt. We may doubt a number of things about God. On one hand, we may doubt His existence. But I think more practically, we may doubt His presence in our lives especially when the storms come. We may doubt his goodness. How would God allow something like this to happen to me? 
we may doubt his love. How could God love me when I've messed up so badly? Why, I've done so many things, nobody could love me. In this particular text, Jesus says, doubting the Lord is little faith. As a caveat, I would remind you, even though Peter began to sink, Peter did step out of the boat. You remember that, right? He's the only one who stepped out of the boat. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Why didn't any of the other disciples say, me too, Lord? Not a single one of them. When I read about Peter's faith, even with his doubt, I'm reminded of the illustration from Francis Shaver a number of years ago regarding faith. He said, imagine for a moment that two buddies are mountain climbing. They're making their way back down the mountain. One is above the other. And for the one who is above at the highest place, suddenly the fog and the clouds begin to roll in. And he is absolutely terrified, not knowing where any ledge is below him. His buddy below says, the fog hasn't reached me yet. If you will stand with your back to the mountainside, there is a ledge to your right, right next to me. Jump. Would you jump? And might I suggest, it is not so much a matter of talking about blind faith. It's not even so much a matter of talking about, do you have great or little faith? The question is, do you trust your buddy? Do you trust the one who is speaking. Jesus said, oh, you have little faith, why do you doubt? Flip over another chapter or two to Matthew chapter 16. The Pharisees and the Sadducees have been testing Jesus. Again, Jesus and the disciples get into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. The disciples, the text specifically tells us, the disciples forgot to bring food. And Jesus warns them to be on their guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just like they are on so many other occasions when they are clueless, they wonder, what is he talking about? Is he chastising us because we didn't bring any food? Jesus, the text says, aware of their discussion, asked, you of little faith, why are you talking about yourself, among yourselves about having no bread? And he goes ahead to remind them, don't you remember how many baskets of food you took up when I fed the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up when I fed the 4,000? And then the disciples realized he was talking about the teaching and the influence of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He wasn't talking about physical food. Might I suggest the key word is blindness. It's possible for us individually and as a church to be blind to what God has done and to be blind to what God can do. To allow the influence of so many things in our culture to dominate and to control our thinking in our lives. And in the process, we become blind to what God has done in the past what God has accomplished against all odds and blind to what God can do in the future. In this particular text, I would paraphrase it by saying, 
allowing human perspectives or standards or traditions to control us and not seeing God at work is little faith. Oh, you of little faith. But there's one other text I want you to see in Matthew's gospel. It's found in Matthew chapter 17. The parallel is Mark chapter 9, a text that I will explore with you in just a few weeks. While Jesus and three of the disciples have been up on the Mount of Transfiguration, a father brought his son to the other disciples for those disciples to heal his son. They were not able to do so. After Jesus heals the boy, the text tells us the disciples came to Jesus in private and they asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. But then hear this line, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Might I suggest the key word is possibility. You see, I'm prone, and I'm only going to confess for me, maybe you fall into the same category. I'm prone, prone to read all of those texts that I've read in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, where Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Why do you worry? Why are you so afraid? Why do you doubt? I'm prone to read those texts and conclude that far too often I have little faith because there are more moments than I want to admit where I'm consumed by worry and fear and doubt. And because I have so little faith, I fear that I'm never going to get any traction, that I'm never going to grow. And while Jesus certainly wants me to grow in my faith, don't misunderstand anything in that respect. Jesus wants us to grow in our faith. The real question in my judgment is whether my faith, whether our faith is in the right source. Because I think in 21st century America, it is so possible for us to put our faith in so many other things, to put our faith in ourselves, to put our faith in politics, to put our faith in you fill in the blanks with a thousand and one other things. It is so possible for us to put our faith in the wrong source. The question in the Gospel of Matthew, is whether our faith is in the right source. Because according to Jesus, God can take our little faith, even if it is as small as a mustard seed, and do great things. You see, the key is little faith in God's hands. Which brings me back to where I began this morning. Anytime we gather as God's people, it is a sacred moment. Because you see, we don't come to these worship gatherings having it all figured out. We don't come to these worship gatherings with no concerns and no worries in our lives. We don't come to these worship gatherings living perfect lives. We bring our worries and fears and doubts and brokenness to God and to one another. We confess that we cannot do it on our own. We confess that we need God and we need one another. And together we turn our hearts again to the one who can do all things. Together we renew our commitment 
our faith to God, even when our faith seems so weak. And so let me take you to one other text as I close this morning. It's a text in Joshua 24. It's actually a text I used in a sermon seven or eight years ago, not preaching the full-blown sermon this morning, but I'm going to reference what's going on in this great text. At the close of his life, Joshua gathered the people of Israel. They have crossed the Jordan River. They have conquered the land of Canaan or at least begun that process. They gather at a place called Shechem. And Joshua leads the people in renewing their faith, their commitment to God. He rehearses their history, reminds them of the impossible things that God had done, beginning with a promise that God made to Abraham including the birth of Isaac and then the birth of Jacob and the years that Israel spent in Egyptian captivity and how God delivered them, leading them across the Red Sea. He reminded them of God's protection and grace and leadership as they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, as they came to Jericho and as they fought against those who lived in the land of Canaan. He reminds them that they did not conquer the land on their own. He reminds them It was because of God's grace and mercy that God did the impossible in their midst. And then he says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. For Israel, it is a covenant renewal gathering. As they look to their future, as they continue to step into the land of promise, with all of the competing gods they will face, As they encounter storms of life, Joshua leads them in affirming their faith and their commitment to God, their commitment to trust and to obey God. And may I suggest that this day, the first Sunday of a new year, 2023, can also be a day of renewal for us, a day of new beginnings for all of us. In the midst of our fear and worry and doubt, in the midst of our failures and brokenness, in the midst of an uncertain future, we place our confidence in the God who will walk with us every step of the journey, the God who can do the impossible. In very simple words, the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey Him. Let me invite you to stand, if you would, please. Joshua said to the people, you may serve all of these other gods, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the text says, the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through, uh, through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. They are rehearsing, they are remembering the impossible things that God had done. 
And now they affirm, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. May I suggest it is that kind of commitment that we're called to make every day of our lives, but together today, may we make that kind of commitment as we begin a new year. And so if you're able to speak those words out loud with me, along with the people of Israel, along with Joshua, along with the disciples, even with all of the challenges we may face, if you're able to speak those words, I would invite you to join with me. Those words, we will serve the Lord our God and obey Him. Would you read those words with me? We will serve the Lord our God and obey Him. One more time. We will serve the Lord our God and obey Him. How great our God is. Amen? Let's sing together.